land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk Good evening. Happy Shabbat to one and all. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. I want to start with uh, four items in the uh, the news. The first is that there's been more and more rumblings of the Biden administration um, negotiating a normalization deal with Saudi Arabia. Um, and this whole deal uh, stinks to high heaven, of course. Uh, Crown Prince uh, MBS um, can think rings around Biden. The picture of them scheming at a uh, G20 summit. Uh, it's got uh, Biden sitting sideways in a, a chair against the two amateurs that he has, a national security advisor and secretary of state, uh, one in blue jeans, uh, and Biden in khaki shorts and a rumpled gray T-shirt. Uh, you know, he, mm. he looks like somebody that, uh, that ought to have been uh, set off, you know, into one of those halfway houses where you're, halfway between alive and dead, and uh, you, you've, you've got dementia, so you don't know that you're there anymore. And you're lucky to have put your pants on for, you know, the right way with the zipper in the front as opposed to the back. And, you know, that's a great celebration that the you know, primary <laughs> discussion of the day is, uh, is uh, good bowel movements is, uh, is the nature of, of these kind of things. He looks like that's where he belongs. Uh, and to think that that's the architect of this team, uh, for a normalization deal with Saudi Arabia uh, should tell you everything you need to know, which is stay a million miles from it. Of course, it is such a tantalizing thing for Israel because they're so desirous of being uh, acknowledged and loved uh, that, that they would uh, just about give up anything uh, for such a deal. And the, uh, the things that, uh, that strike me on this is, first of all, uh, what Saudi Arabia wants is a defense um, agreement from the United States similar to NATO, that if they're attacked for any reason, the United States will come to their aid. Well, that would be stupid for the United States to, uh, to do so. To risk American lives to defend Saudi Arabia uh, is insane. Uh, what the United States wants, of course, is to continue to have Saudi Arabia uh, price oil in dollars and not accept any other currency. 
and what uh, um, Saudi Arabia wants for that is uh, uh, the United States to give it a nuclear energy program. Now, the United States is the worst country in the world. Uh, well, not the worst in the world, but certainly the worst of industrial nations to uh, go to for a nuclear program. Uh, we haven't built a nuclear reactor in so long, we can't even uh, uh, remember uh, when. And the two companies that we had in America that were building them, I don't even think build them anywhere in the world, certainly nowhere in America. Uh, so, and, and then you have to ask the same question that I asked of, uh, of Iran. It's not really a, a question. Uh, it's more of a realization that back in the day that the media kept on saying, but Iran says that for uh, nuclear development is for peaceful purposes. That's their research. And you say that a nation that floats on natural gas and oil, uh, um, wanting a nuclear reactor to boil water to make electricity is about the dumbest idea in the history of uh, humankind so that uh, it makes zero sense. And there is zero incentive for Saudi Arabia uh, to have a nuclear reactor for electricity when they float on oceans of oil and gas, unless they're trying to make the daughter products uh, necessary for a nuclear bomb. Now, reality is everybody knows it, but won't say it. Not everybody knows it because most people are too ignorant to know things, but certainly it's known within the higher uh, channels of government that Saudi Arabia already has nuclear bombs. So I don't know why anybody is up in arms over this. They funded the Pakistani program. And for providing 95% of the funding of the Pakistani program, there was a quid pro quo where uh, Pakistan provided Saudi Arabia with nuclear bombs. Uh, so th there certainly isn't anything to it other than they want to be able to make more and to make more on their own. Uh, but that's basically the thrust of the deal. And of course, since Biden is an anti-Semite uh, and uh, hates Israel, uh, he wants to uh, change the Israeli government, and he wants to predicate the deal on uh, having Israel throw out certain members of their coalition and uh, having Israel then uh, acquiesce to a two-state two solution and this sort of thing. When I hear these kinds of things, my reaction is always the same. Uh, I have a lot of experience in business. One of the things I learned uh, in business very early is that you should never negotiate a one-sided deal, ever. Don't accept one, don't negotiate one. The best deals are always mutually advantageous. Negotiate yeah. a deal that you know is in your, uh, your partner's best interest, and you won't have to worry about enforcing it or them trying to leave it. Uh, and always the right thing to do. And so if Israel can't negotiate a deal that is in Saudi Arabia's interest as well as its own, then they shouldn't do one. And a deal that is perceived in Israel's interest, but not necessarily in Saudi Arabia's interest, is a waste of time because Saudi Arabia will not honor it. And so it's always important to recognize that the only way that a deal makes any sense is for both parties to be able to offer the other party something that is deemed uh, worthwhile. And in this case, Israel has a lot to offer a country like Saudi Arabia. Uh, their, their educational facilities are vastly superior to Saudi Arabia. Their defense capabilities are vastly superior to Saudi Arabia's. Uh, their um, uh, uh, 
intelligence community is vastly superior to Saudi Arabia. Their medical community is vastly superior. Uh, they are a Western democracy, and therefore there are many things that that provides access to that Saudi Arabia doesn't have as a, uh, uh, as a dictatorship. Uh, so there are many things that, that, in terms of business opportunities, economic opportunities, that Israel brings to the table, and if they are valued by Saudi Arabia, then a deal can be done. If Saudi Arabia, because of the Biden administration, forces Israel to, uh, to accept a two-state solution, kiss it goodbye and say no. Uh, Israel already has experience when uh, Bill Clinton and, uh, and Jimmy Cotta uh, started towards the Oslo Accords. The Oslo Accords proved a disaster for Israel. You know, the idea was to carve out certain sections of, uh, of Israel, mostly in the uh, West Bank, but, but you know, taking the, literally the heart out of Israel and creating a Palestinian authority that the United States would arm and fund that would serve as an interim government. And Palestinian Authority was made out of the PLO, which was a terrorist organization. They haven't had an election in more than a decade. I think it's going on 15 or 20 years. 80% of the, of the population, uh, uh, Muslim population of the so-called West Bank despises uh, the, uh, the, the PA. Uh, Hezbollah and, uh, and Hamas are vastly more popular. Uh, and if you look at how big a disaster that turned out to be, and also the disaster of Israel being forced to give up Gaza, and how stupid that was, although it was promoted by George Bush in the United States. So Israel's already played this game twice before. And they have absolute proof that if you give uh, autonomy to uh, and uh, land to the fake Estenians, it turns out to be nothing but a terrorist camp. So they cannot do that. And if they're stupid enough to do that, then uh, their demise will happen sooner rather than later. Uh, the next uh, item of the news is uh, uh, this week, uh, Moscow's airports uh, were attacked by, uh, by um, drones, uh, mostly supplied by the United States, uh, to Ukraine. And thus far, uh, you know, the, America has given a couple hundred billion dollars to Ukraine to fight this proxy war with Russia, and they're now uh, bringing the war actually to Russia. And I don't bring this to your attention for any other reason than I read about a hundred comments after the, uh, the article. And of the hundred comments, every single one of them was a duped citizen of the, the West saying that, well, you know, Putin deserves it, and uh, you know, here's a lesson to Putin. If you don't want your airports bombed, get out of, uh, of Ukraine. It just goes on and on and on, blaming the Ukraine war on Putin and Russia. Uh, absolutely clueless to the fact that this war was not started by Russia. This war cannot be blamed on Russia. Uh, that the United States knowingly and purposely orchestrated this war, going all the way back uh, to 2002, and there were dramatic steps along the way where America uh, set the pieces in place, beginning in 2002, then in, in uh, 2006, uh, 2013, 2016, uh, all the way up to the uh, the 
months before the invasion, uh, blowing up the, uh, the pipeline of natural gas, uh, and then uh, claiming that Ukraine was going to be part of, of uh, NATO and sending uh, arms there. The United States did everything they could to encourage this war and has wanted this war. Uh, and it's just astonishing that it is true that you can fool all of the people most of the time. Mm-hmm. We have reached a period where people are so ignorant and so irrational that you can read articles in a news story and have 100% of those people duped. There is a, another thing uh, happening in the news that we need to pay attention to, particularly uh, uh, on behalf of Israel, but um, Lebanon is, uh, is blowing up at the seams. Lebanon now is a country, it's about 70% Muslim. The Muslim population of, of, uh, of, um, of Lebanon is, is fairly evenly split between Sunni and Shia. Uh, there has been an influx of, uh, of Sunnis, though, as it relates uh, to the uh, U.S. Uh, invasion of Iraq that gave uh, Iraq and, uh, and Syria uh, to Iran. And so some of the Sunnis have moved out as Hezbollah has moved in. Um, and I, for the most part, uh, Lebanon now is completely destroyed by uh, Iran's proxy and Hezbollah. Um, there is no economy. There is no uh, jurisprudence. There, there, is, there is nothing of this country. It is uh, hyperinflation. Uh, and now the... Christian minority that represents about 25% of the country's population uh, is fighting all manner of battles with the various Muslims uh, terrorist groups. And so you even have now Muslims fighting Muslims and Christians, uh, armed Christians groups fighting uh, Muslims. But it is the uh, going to be the next country that just implodes. Uh, and to have a country like that that implodes, the uh, the Hezbollah that runs that country is going to see that the only way to control it is to be involved in a war, and they will go to war with Israel. And uh, they have a lot to bear uh, against Israel. Um, it is true that Israel could bomb Lebanon into the Stone Age, but the, the carnage of that would be so devastating that what little uh, respect Israel gets around the world would be destroyed by it, even if it was in self-defense. And uh, there are hundreds of thousands of rockets and drones that Hezbollah has poised to uh, fly into Israel that would overwhelm uh, the Iron Dome. So we are on the cusp of war in, uh, in that part of the, uh, of the world. Uh, also, just interesting that Abbas, who's head of the, uh, the PA, you can't call him a president because he's not elected, um, and he is, uh, uh, he's the only politician in the world that's probably older than uh, Biden. Uh, he uh, uh, just fired uh, uh, most of his uh, governors underneath him. Um, and it's because he, uh, he's paranoid. He, he knows that the people hate him. All he can do is continue to shuffle the deck underneath him to prolong this myth that he is a representative of his uh, people. Uh, Israel, of course, is, uh, is damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, they want to prop up the PA not because of uh, their 
a legitimate government uh, because they're, it's a terrorist organization. Uh, and it has indoctrinated uh, multiple generations of, of Muslims uh, to hate and hunt and kill Jews. But the alternative is worse, uh, Hezbollah and Hamas. So it is quite a, a plight that we find ourselves in. Uh, earlier this week, I was uh, rewriting uh, the opening of uh, Volume 7 of uh, Yada Yad. So sometime by the end of next week, I will have uh, completed Volume 7 in the rewrite of Yada Yad, and therefore we will have uh, made considerable progress. I will have rewritten uh, all three volumes of An Introduction to God, all seven volumes of uh, Yada Yad. Uh, the... Um, uh, three volumes of Coming Home, the two volumes, actually three volumes of Babel, will all have been rewritten, leaving only Observations, which is five volumes, Come, or Questioning Paul, which is four volumes, and then I'm going to uh, do a light uh, edit of uh, In the Company, Tea with Terrace, and uh, Prophet of Doom, so that they can be repositioned and then put on the, the bookshelf. So we're, we are... Um, uh, making the the turn around uh, uh, third base and heading home in terms of these edits. But this is what I wrote, and I thought it would just be interesting to share with you before we get back to the 89th, uh, Mismore, uh, related to this uh, volume called Shana Years. It begins this, this thought process. The 28th year, the 28th year journey towards the fulfillment of Teruah in year 5996 Yah, which is September 9th and 10th, uh, 2029. It uh, commenced with me on uh, Teruah in 2001. That was year 5968 Yah. It was a Tuesday evening. Um, Teruah went into Wednesday that year, September 18th and 19th, 2001. Therefore, it was 18 days after 9-11. This would provide uh, me with 32 years overall, 11,700 days, um, 384 months, if uh, that's your favorite uh, time uh, period, all to awaken Israel to the realization that fulfilling that after, I should say, fulfilling Chagmatzah in year 4,000 Yah, their Messiah and their king is going to return, doing so on Yom Kippurim in 6,000 Yah. That is the mission, that is the objective, that is the fulfillment, truly, of Teruah. The final reconciliation of Yisrael will occur at sunset in Jerusalem, precisely at 6.22 p.m the 2nd of October, 2033. Now, in this particular volume, I uh, spoke numerous times of astronomy and how you can use astronomy to set uh, the, the times based upon the renewing light on the moon. So in that regard, it is interesting to note that there will be a total solar eclipse. Now, these are very rare. But there will be a total solar eclipse on March 30th, 2033. 
That is the first day of the last year that we will uh, celebrate in a earth controlled by men. On that today, on the day of the new moon of Abib 1, and so this full solar eclipse is going to denote the beginning of year 6000 Yah. Remember when Yah said, the sun shall not provide its light. Fourteen days later, on the 14th and 15th of April, 2033, during Chagmatsa of the last year that it will be celebrated on a earth contaminated by religion and politics, there will be a full lunar eclipse commencing in, of all places, Jerusalem and spreading towards Babylon during Matzah, certifying the darkest of nights. And if that were not enough to garner our attention, there will be a second solar eclipse in year 6000 Yah. Uh, and it's going to occur on, uh, uh, as we move into the celebration of um, uh, Kapuram and Sukkah. September 23rd is when the uh, um, there will be a solar eclipse. Actually, this is kind of interesting here. On September 23rd, which is the final Teruah uh, um, that we will celebrate in year 6000 Yah, uh, 23rd of, uh, of, the, uh, of September. Then adding to the celestial fireworks, there will be a second total lunar eclipse on the evening of the 7th and 8th of October, 2033, coinciding with Sukkah in year 6000 Yah. The two solar and two lunar eclipses obscuring mankind's visibility of the sun and moon as predicted in year 6000 Yah, 2033, not only coincide with the 1st and 15th of Abib and the 1st and 15th of Sivan, this is the only year of the seven preceding it when there is a single overlap, much less four. Now that said, it is interesting to note uh, that in the first year of the seventh millennia of Yah, commencing in 2034, uh, that as with the previous year, there will be a total solar eclipse on March 20th, which coincides with the first of Abib. Two weeks later during Pesach, there will be a total lunar eclipse. Then on the evening of September 12th, the marking Teruah, an annual solar eclipse will occur. Then on the 27th and 28th of September, demarcating Sukkah, there will be a complete lunar eclipse. <laughs> it is as if Yahweh wants to commemorate the, a good thing uh, during the first year of our spending forever together. Yeah. Now, as an interesting aside to all of this, Christians, in a desperate effort to validate the nonsense of their New Testament, claim that there was a solar eclipse when Ajibas died. <laughs> now, <Really? laughs> beyond the realization 
there was no one named Jesus. Passover is always celebrated on a full moon. It's always the 14th day of a lunar month, at which time solar eclipses are impossible. They can never, ever be celebrated on a full moon because the, uh, the sun and the moon have to be on opposite sides of the sky from our perspective on Earth to, to have a full moon, and therefore the moon cannot be juxtapositioned between the Earth and the sun. So a solar eclipse can only occur during a new moon for obvious reasons that seem to escape the Christian cerebral <laughs> processing. However, there was a solar eclipse in 33 CE, and it occurred during the first of Abib, March 19th, 33 CE. Now, for those who are enjoying this kind of remarkable uh, series of celestial affirmations, there was a lunar eclipse on Passover, April 3rd, 33 CE, at 1648 local time, 448 p.m. in Jerusalem on the 14th of Abib in year 4000 Yah, with sunset occurring at 7 o'clock p.m., the lunar eclipse would not have been visible in Jerusalem, which is understandable since there was no one there to make sense of it anyway, but it may have been God's way of, of demarcating the moment that Pesach was fulfilled, 4.48 in the afternoon. This would have provided two hours and 12 minutes to dispose of Dode's physical body, laden his soul with our guilt, and transport him to Sheol to begin matzah at precisely 7 p.m. His nephesh would have been released at 7.01 p.m. at the conclusion of Abib 15, uh, year 4000 Yah, which would be April 4th, 33 CE. Certainly fascinating, uh, the implications of, uh, of all of that. My guess is that some of that will even make it into Dee and Jackie's timeline on the mm -hmm. uh, yes. resources page. I actually did uh, work on that a bit, and we went back to 2023, 24, and 25, which you hadn't done. And mm -hmm. ironically, there's some interesting finds there as well. Um, nothing going mm -hmm. on this year, predictably, but uh, it, it's it's worth looking into. I think everyone, timeanddate.com okay. provides it, and you can look at it for yourself. Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, I did look at, I think, 2029 to see if there was any celestial firework, but uh, I would have expected none just because it's supposed to be an event that no one even notices. Uh, but, uh, and I don't think there were any. As I looked at the, at the uh, seven years before the final uh, fulfillment in 2033, uh, lots of, uh, you know, eclipses, but none that even come close to uh, the right. uh, the time of, of the events that we care about. A lot were in uh, November and December, uh, January, February, for example. Uh, they mm -hmm. just don't matter. Um, you know, right. an eclipse in July and August. Uh, it doesn't matter that they don't pertain to Yahweh's uh, right. festival feast. 
Uh, Kirk, you had a, a bit that you wanted to share about uh, the uh, the first word um, that became Yada Yahweh some 22 years ago, and it happened to be the first word of uh, Dode's most um, astonishing, um, uh, actually most beneficial, longest by far, a mismore. Yes, yes. It, uh, and, of course, we all know what it is. It's been around a little while. It's uh, Asher. And he wrote the 119th Psalm, and of course it has to start with the Aleph, but I was um, I hadn't read it in a while, and, I, and the other night there it was, Asher. And uh, so um, it's the first used in Barim, uh, Dabarim, rather, 3329, where I thought it was interesting as well, where it says, Blessed are... Now this is, this is, y'all, this is Dode talking to Israel. He says, Blessed are you, Israel, uh, who is like you, are people who are saved by Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Wow, if I read something... Even a poor, even a poor translation like that, you can't miss it. All the words are right, you know. It's not mean, mm-hmm. simplistic, but and I'm going, wow, you know. Hey, he's, hey. so but he writes that he uses Asher. Now Asher sometimes, if when you look them up enough times, they'll wind up uh, looking like this. Uh, it can be this, that, or the other, but it's really a relationship word, and it is a blessing uh, on a relationship. The word, by definition, links is an action. Now, I look at it through more concrete eyes of the older uh, Hebrew. But the word is, uh, uh, by definition, links the action of the sentence to the one doing the action. And it's also related to an older um, uh, lexicons as a rope connecting something that connects the two objects together. So immediately I started thinking about that and... and uh, the thought that this, uh, the image that comes to me is, a, is a, an experienced mountain climber attached to a less experienced climber or all the many different situations you might have a rope to help someone along. It's not to bind someone, it's to help them lift them, lift them up. So in the pictographs, the metaphor is a link of a strong rope in the root word, which is a shin resh. And that's uh, the way it's, that definition is a twisted rope where you add two ropes together to make them even stronger. And I'm sure there's a metaphor in that if you think about it for a second. It makes it give it some super strength. And interesting to me was the finding of, uh, as I was looking through the lexicons, um, in the words close by is shore. And shore, that means uh, naval. And, of course, that's and it's spelled with a shin resh yod resh which carries the idea of Yah, the last with the Yod and the Rosh at the end, it carries the idea that Yah is lifting up the observant ones. And, of course, with um, at the uh, Asher again, I've done this many times, but I looked at it one more time with the Aleph, which is the leader with power to perform and to rescue. The uh, Shin leads with nourishing words to teach us the way to reach to the way to the relationship. And then the Rosh at the end is significant because it's pointing to us. We're the ones who we are prior to, are the ones who prioritize observing the Torah to understand. And, of course, the Torah instruction, teaching, guidance, and direction is not law. It is someone teaching. So, therefore, I became even more, it became even more obvious that your translation of Asher, to show the way to the benefits of the relationship, was a great choice. Yeah, one of the things that's quite interesting is that while Dode is the uh-huh. central figure in God's story, uh, the first word that Dode used actually in the first Mismore that he wrote was Asher. 
So he's using it not only as the first word of the 119th, which tells us how to observe the Torah, but he uses it in the first word of the first psalm that, uh, that he wrote, beginning it with Asher. So uh, recognizing that God is consistent and fair, since I began all of this with Asher as my first word, Dod began with his first word as Asher, I got to figure that if Dode ended up, you know, king with the, you know, a lion's share of the inheritance, you, you got to get something out of that, right? Okay. Yeah. Fair is fair. I mean, we both we both yeah. began with uh, with uh, Asher. Now, in all seriousness, pretty cool. If if you were to say, okay, we'll make that uh, deal. You're now uh, uh, king of Israel. I'd say, yeah, I'm just, I was just I was just no, a kid. No, thank you. Um, I think I'd I'd uh, rather be uh, uh, whether yeah go to bed with an empty stomach. No, thank you. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that uh, Dode has that responsibility and more than happy to uh, to help and assist in any way possible. But it is nice to know that we did begin our journey uh, together with the same word. Uh, cool. We're going to return to the the 89th Mismore. It is the song of uh, of Dode, Dode's song. Uh, I think it's the most important song ever written. Uh, it certainly is uh, a um, uh, a psalm that is capable of fundamentally transforming one's view of God, uh, the covenant, the Torah, the the Moed Mikre. Uh, the process of salvation, the kind of relationship that Yahweh desires from us, what he's looking for us in return. I don't think you could find anything that compares with the insights that are delivered through this remarkable mizmor. Uh, the statement that we were analyzing uh, is in the 29th verse, and it reads, He himself will call out to me, and he will welcome me, announcing, You are my father. I also will bestow him as a gift, appointing and making him Bakur Ani, my firstborn, as Elion, Almighty God, the highest and uppermost in comparison to the rulers of the earth. For all eternity, I will keep watch over him, paying very close attention to him, focusing on him, my unwavering love, unrelenting devotion, enduring affection, and genuine favoritism, in addition to my family-oriented covenant, are truthfully presented and reliably established, verifiable and enduring through him. How much more do you need? Nothing. (laughs) God God is saying we ought to refer to him as our father. When we do, we understand that he's not to be worshipped. He's not to be prayed to. He is uh, not to be feared. He's to be embraced. We ought to know that our father's intent is to acknowledge us as his sons and daughters. We ought to know that the prophecy that my good friend Yashaya wrote 
some 2,700 years ago, where he began, a child is born, a son is given, that this is explained right here. I will give him as my firstborn son. That prophecy also says that he will convey Yahweh's restoring testimony. Here, it goes one step further. It says, he will be as Almighty God, Elion. It also says that God's timeline is eternal, that his relationship Mm -hmm. with his beloved son, Dode, is going to last forever, and that God is focused on him. You want God's attention? Become part of his family. You want God to view you as his son or daughter? Engage in his work. And when someone looks to Yahweh as their father and comes to know him as father and accepts the fact that through the covenant they become God's children, then they are the recipients of Yahweh's unwavering love, his devotion, affection and indeed favoritism. And this all occurs as a result of the family-oriented covenant relationship, which Yahweh here has said, and it is exceedingly important, that that covenant was established by, endures through, and is verifiable because of God's son, Dode by fulfilling the Moed Mikre, Dode established the covenant family. By writing about it a thousand years before he would fulfill the first four Moed Mikre, he verified that we can rely on him and his father. That is all conveyed in that one beautiful statement. And to think that God's people, Jews, have carried this around in their Tanakh for now 3,000 years. Mm -hmm. And when Dode came to fulfill... Pesach and Matzah for the benefit of Bukurim and Shabuah in year 4,000 Yah. They didn't recognize it? How can you be that blind? He said, I'm going to do this. He even told Daniel when he was going to arrive to the exact day. He described how he was going to serve as the Passover lamb through the 22nd Mizmor describing Roman crucifixion 700 years before Rome existed and before crucifixion was even invented? How is it that with the 89th Mismore, you could miss that? How is it when Christians claim that uh, their guy, Jebus, was the son of God, you couldn't say, wait a minute, God says, no, it's Dode. Right. Where where were your eyeballs? Where were your brains? 
Why did you create a religion with a principle that says the Messiah is coming and you don't even know his name? When it's obviously doubt. Why do you say that it's impossible for anyone to be the son of God? When God says exactly the opposite. How did you miss this all? How did you mess this up? And how in the hell are there billions of Christians when God says exactly the opposite of what they claim? God is saying, my son is Dode. The Messiah is Dode. The Savior is Dode. The covenant is based upon Dode. And yet, you want to claim that somebody whose name is never mentioned, didn't even exist, is instead all of these things, so you're going to steal them all from the person that God loves most of all, upset God in the process, and create a new religion contradicting God? Wow. And then parade around with a dead God on a stick? as your symbol, incorporating all manner of Babylonian pagan myths into it? What the hell's wrong with you? The prophet is announcing and Yahweh is therefore affirming that God has a son. Just as there is no one else that Yahweh personally anointed, Dode stands alone as the Messiah and Son of God. Further, Yahweh is offering his son to us as a gift. How would he offer his son to us as a gift if he didn't come back to do something that was exceedingly beneficial to us. Right. Good point. Why is it that when God makes it clear that he's going to reestablish the kingdom of Dode, he's going to bring Dode back to sit on his throne forevermore, and so that clearly Dode has a second life, why don't you see this one? Recognizing that he had three. He speaks a lot more about this one than he does the other. This is insightful because it helps us appreciate the identity of the child who was born and the son who was given in Yashaya 9.6, one of the most profoundly important prophecies ever written. When Dode refers to Yahweh as his father, and Yahweh responds by acknowledging that he perceives Dode to be his son, they are describing the nature of their relationship and the way they have and will continue to interact with one another. They're not describing a biological connection, but instead something far more important. A father-son relationship exists when the parent carries most of the responsibility. When they do the preponderance of the work, 
Fathers mentor their sons. They set an example for them to follow, and they teach and guide them. Parents provide nourishment and shelter, apparel and protection for their children. A child also bears some responsibility. They must learn and accept the house rules and contribute to the family in some way once they're able. It's even better when sons respect their father and are appreciative and it's best when they're able to advance the family business. In this regard, Dode was the perfect son. This is one of the reasons why Dode earned the right to be called Yahweh's Bakor, firstborn. With this distinction, he earned the right to wear his father's crown and to share his throne. And he would also inherit the birthright of a royal firstborn. With the Mikre existing to advance the rewards of the covenant by fulfilling Pesach and Matzah, Dode became the best suited individual in the history of humanity to exemplify the benefits of Bukurim, firstborn children. Now the most electrifying term in the mix. Now it's hard to imagine that with all of that firepower that God has just uh-huh. inspired uh, for us to consider, it's not the most electrifying term in that uh, group of, uh, of words. Uh, the, the most magnificent is Elion. It's used throughout the Torah, always addressing Almighty God. So at the very least, Dode is to be seen as over and above other men, as far as God is above them, the most mm-hmm. distinguished of all. And if we are to trust the Torah's definition, which is well advised, <laughs> presenting his son as God. Yeah. Well, that certainly solves the interspecies issue, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Brought him up to snuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's not just my right. son. He's God. Now, why wouldn't he be? Well, well If yeah. we're children of the covenant, we're God's children, why wouldn't we be as God? He's just the first among us. Well, that would normally be shocking. It shouldn't be. By design, souls are supposed to grow up and become like their fathers. And when it comes to this family, the benefits of the covenant, all of which Dode helped provide by fulfilling the Mikre, are specifically designed to make us more like God, enriching us, empowering us, and enlightening us. You know, when we think about going from this material realm, you know, three-dimensional beings, into Mm -hmm. the seven dimensions of the spiritual realm. We have to grow exponentially, even in dimensions, going from three to seven. Each step along the way is an infinite increase four times over. We're not talking about a billion times more powerful and capable. We're not even talking about a billion trillion times. We're talking about 
an infinite degree, four times over. Wow. That uh, sounds Elion to me. Yeah. As we approach the conclusion of this particular Mismore, the 89th, Dode's song, Yahweh will tell us that Dode will become as brilliant as the sun in his presence. So based upon all of this, we would be well served to read Elion as Almighty God. And so as not to risk shortchanging God's son, then he is the Elion, highest and uppermost. So let's silence the foolish religious rhetoric, the likes of of uh, Jesus and Akiba and Muhammad and Mamamides have offered, we need to listen to Dode. You know, it's also interesting, we consider Dode's return on Yom Kippur mm-hmm. in, uh, in year uh, 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 6,000, yeah, 2033. Um, if Dode comes back as brilliant as the sun, that eclipse... Um, isn't going to matter, is it? Going to set the stage no. for his return. <laughs> now, Dode's status with God's never going to change. We have God's word on it. He will continue to focus on his son throughout eternity. Yahweh is conc- or Yahweh's concluding statement, I should say, uh, speaks volumes. He's declaring for all of us to read that his love, his affection, and his mercy are best demonstrated and understood when we consider his relationship with Dode. That's the point of all of this. Further, the covenant is most accurately presented. It is affirmed. It is verified when we examine Dode's participation via his life and his lyrics. It all brings us to the first word among the words of, uh, of God, Kara. Father and Son have invited us into the covenant family. We have been called out of the world so that we can be welcomed in heaven. By reading and reciting the word of God, we find Father and Son summoning us to their side. When we capitalize upon what Father and Son have done through the Mikre, to deliver the benefits of the covenant, we grow exponentially. Dode has shown us the way. Let's follow him. Yah will remain attuned to Dode even throughout eternity because he loves him as a father loves a son. God said, Cheset Ani, Wabareth Ani, Aman, Lahu. My unwavering love, unrelenting devotion, and enduring mercy are truly presented and will be reliably um, and steadfastly enduring with him as part of the covenant family. You know, it's interesting, just just the concept of endure, to engage and endure. That's the -hmm. the middle of what Israel stands for. Yeah, individuals who engage and endure with God. Ish, Sarah, El. Even when they act up, parents never tire of their children. 
and even when a child grows up to devote themselves to the betterment of the family, when they go out about their father's business, every moment is a cause for celebration. This is not only why we have children, it's why we exist. According to God, Toad is the most interesting and important man in the world. We devalue him and Yah's relationship with him at our peril. By contrast, if we do as Yahweh does and Shamar closely examine and carefully consider his every word and deed, we will endure forever. Now, we've come a long way in our understanding of Dod. He was mm-hmm. just one of a cast of characters when we began um, some 22 years ago. And over that 22 years, our attention has brought us to the realization that uh, Dode is the center of Yah's story. And I remember when I was writing observations back uh, probably 10 years ago, maybe 12, uh, that there was this kind of a stir among uh, the, uh, the, those who listened to this program. And it was, oh boy, he's gone off the deep end. He has a bromance with Dode. It's kind of uh, sickness. Yep. And at the Absolutely. time... <laughs> I was not willing to remove the title of, of uh, or ascribe him as the eternal Messiah or uh, as the lone son of God or of God's firstborn or most certainly had no concept of what a Zoroah was in terms of the sacrificial lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, had not translated the 89th Mismore. And over time, we, we did that as we, we made our way through observations and into coming home. Then that bromance with Dode soared. And all of a sudden we knew Dode is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Dode is the Son of God. Um, Dode is the returning king. And all of a sudden, he's the most important person in God's story. And yet it wasn't until this past year that we've come to recognize that Dode is also the Passover lamb. It was his soul that fulfilled matzah, making Bukurim and Shabuah possible. It is Dode who is returning to fulfill Kippurim and Sukkah. Teruah is about drawing Yisrael's attention to their king and Messiah, the son of God, Dode. And when I recognize that when we began there was 32 years to complete this mission and here we are now 22 years into it with only 10 years remaining and while we've made enormous progress in terms of developing an engaged covenant family um, there are still precious few souls in Israel uh, prepared to acknowledge Yahweh and his son uh, in advance of their return on Yom Kippurim. We still have a long mm-hmm. way to go. And what I realize is that it's taken all of these 22 years, and it'll take the, we'll be into the 23rd year, to get me right to convey this message. Mm-hmm. I've had to t- to go on this journey and be prepared to convey what the 89th Mismore is telling us here. And so this is all 
preparation, if you will, for the big announcement and that we ought not have caught on with Yisrael until we're able to tell them the whole truth. And the whole truth yes. has to yes. include Dode as the central character, as the embodiment of the Bereth Covenant, as the Passover lamb, as the one who fulfilled Matzah, and who will return to fulfill Kippurim. The Dode is our Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And it isn't until you can tell the whole story that it should be resonating with Yisrael. We have another, um, another maybe six months uh, of work to shape all of the 30 books up so they can all be put on the shelf and all convey not only the truth, but the whole truth about God's invitation to his people through this great gift that he has provided of his son. And understanding why Dode volunteered to do this and why God supported his decision and what that means for all of us. And so to a very significant degree, we have 22 years of preparation. Yeah, there's 30 books and soon they will all convey the same story. Sure, there are thousands, thousands of these audio programs. But it isn't until we are properly prepared and we can boldly convey the whole story to Yisrael that we would even want it to resonate with God's people within the promised land. And we are very, very close to being in that position. Matter of fact, at this point, you could read through all three volumes of An Introduction to God through the first six volumes of Yada Yah, through the entire Babel uh, series, um, and through the three volumes of Coming Home. And this is the story that you will read. So uh, now I understand why there was 32 years. It takes time. <laughs> and, and I can tell you also, Knowing how much we have invested in this between you know ten to twelve to sometimes now fourteen hours a day, what was five days a week became six is now seven um, there most certainly isn't another there isn't the time available for somebody else to come up and to speak because God's style is not to do a um a data dump God's not going to hand the choder and knacker. Nacri, a, uh, a whole bunch of books and say, go put your name on these, and uh, here they are. That's well, not his stuff. call them since Yada is taken. <laughs> yeah, since Yada, Yahweh, to know Yahweh is taken, uh, and which is the term that Yahweh uses throughout his right. foreign prophets to describe it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uses Yada to describe the individual that, uh, that would write them. Um, yeah. I, I can just search. tell you that... that uh, there, there isn't another candidate, and there can't be. Um, there's far too much preparation that is uh, required. And even if he were to bring back, and he will eventually, uh, seven years from now, um, yes. bring back uh, uh, one of the, the great orators and debaters of all time, Ilya, 
and Elia was brilliant in terms of his understanding of the false religion uh, of Baal, the Lord, and uh, uh, Asherah. But yep. I'm here to tell you, he is not an expert on Christianity. What's wrong with it? <laughs> he is not an expert no, on Islam are. and what's wrong with it. He knows nothing <laughs> of progressives. His arguments and his voice will resonate with Jews as profoundly as it did uh, 2,700 years ago. Uh, Jews still want to flock to where they believe was his grave. Um, he's the one person, the one prophet who is invited to every Passover dinner for every observant Jew. They set a place setting for him. They know he's coming back on Passover. Uh, and his voice will resonate with them. But God likes the people that he uses to be prepared and the preparation needed to understand Christianity and Islam and progressive thought and the problems of politics and religion um, take time. And we have put in that time and we are very close to being in a position where we can say, Israel, this is your story. This is the voice calling out to you. You have very little time now to respond and answer. So based upon what Yahweh had to say about Dode, it's prudent that we listen to him. We follow his example. Mismore 89.29 And I will establish his seed in that which he sows, as well as his offspring, Zerah, as an eternal witness forever. La'ed. And his throne will be equated to the days of heaven. This is the conclusion of uh, 89.29. Uh, Zerah is a, an exceedingly important word. Uh, it is the basis of Zeroah which according to the 89th Mismore, the Song of Dode, is Dode's most important title. Zeroah is based on Zerah. Zerah means to sow seeds, which take root and produce new life, uh, produce that which is fruitful. It is uh, by derivation considered to speak of offspring and children, and Dode would have many who would join the covenant family. But first and foremost, the seeds of a great prophet and lyricists are his words. And Dode sowed those words. He planted them, mm -hmm. expecting them to take root and grow. And it isn't just he as this as our savior and our king and our messiah, our shepherd, um, who has sown these seeds. It is his father which has appointed and preserved them. And Dode's seeds, the words that he has shared with us, serve 
as an Ed. Ed is an eternal witness to restoring testimony. And because of what Dode said and what he has done, that his throne as the firstborn son of God will be equated to the time of heaven. Now, that is also insightful uh, because what it means is that, is that in heaven, time is different than we experience it here on earth. And on earth, we are stuck in the uh, fourth dimension, which is time. We cannot maneuver in it. It, it goes along at a, uh, at a certain pace. But in heaven, time simply exists. The fullness of time exists. We can experience the past, the present, and the future. And so to, to recognize that the duration of his home will be equated to how time is equated in heaven um, is a profound thought that was well beyond the mindset of the day, but something we know now. The covenant children are the beneficiaries of what Dode has sown. As such, we are his offspring, the legacy of the harvest he has provided. Through the son, the father has built a family. As a result, his place of honor and his offspring will endure forever. As replete with time as there are days of heaven. We now know that the spiritual abode of God uh, has a seat of honor. Heaven has a throne. One with Dode's name written on it. Beloved. But a perfect name to inscribe on it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's not just throughout the millennial kingdom that we should expect to see Dode shepherd his flock. But in heaven as well. Now, if we wish to be there with them, it's important that we realize that where there is free will, there are choices to be made and alliances to be established, uh, some also broken. Dode chose wisely, electing to closely examine and carefully consider Yahweh's Torah. In the 119th Mismore that you referenced at the beginning of our program, the mm -hmm. A two stanza alphabetic presentation of the Torah remains one of his crowning achievements. Unfortunately, those misled by the likes of Paul, Akiba, and, and Muhammad are going to face the consequence of having chosen poorly, and in particular, Yahudim, the direct descendants of Dod. The next statement reads, however, to the contrary, if his children continue to forsake, ignore, or reject my Torah, my teaching and guidance, and if they make a habit of failing to walk according to my means to justly resolve disputes and to make good decisions, 
They perpetually, if they perpetually view my clearly communicated prescriptions for living with contempt. And further, if they consistently fail to observe the instructive terms of the relationship, then I will hold them accountable. Doing so with the full measure of their religious rebellion and popular political revolt. The consequence of their deviation from the way and their wrongdoing will be a pestilence which causes widespread death. Ms. Moore, 89, 30, 31, and 32. All one. One long sentence. I you guys, you could break it into two, but it's one ongoing thought. So God has, has spoken about the importance of those uh, words, of his commitment to the covenant relationship. But there is free will. Then, unfortunately, because of free will, God's children, the uh, chosen people, they're in a position where they were given free will and they have continued to forsake, ignore, and reject the Torah guidance of Yahweh. Now, they will claim that, oh, the Herodim, boy, they are Mr. Torah. Uh, you know, they want to dedicate every day to studying Torah, Torah this, Torah that, except they've done something far, far worse. They now call their Talmud the rot of the rabbis, Torah. Mm-hmm. Makes makes you ill to think of it. Yeah. They don't serve Yahweh's Torah. They're guiding light is their Talmud. Mm -hmm. And so God is saying that they are continuing to make a habit of failing to walk according to his means to justly resolve disputes. This is Mishpat, of which the rabbinical types have corrupted uh, as well. Uh, It no longer means to exercise good judgment. It's no longer associated with the compound of my, which is to ponder the implications of Shafat, making good decisions. For them, it's a bunch of rules. And what, when God uses the com, this concept, Mishpat, what he's really talking about is that, that he and his son fulfilled the means for us to resolve those disagreements, uh, the guilt that we have that stands between us and a relationship with Yahweh. Um, And so the means that Yahweh established to resolve disputes is the very thing that his son fulfilled, Pesach and Matzah, and the second chance, which is Kippurim. If you miss that, there's nothing left. And if you do what what religious Jews have done, which is to turn Passover into a seven-day event and relegate matzah just to an ingredient, then the, the one day each year that stands to remove our guilt, they are passing over. Yeah. A really, really bad position they've put themselves in. 
They hold Yahweh's clearly communicated prescriptions for living with contempt, which is why they have outwritten him a hundred to one in their Talmud. Their right. Zohar, their Mishnah. And further, if they consistently fail to observe the instructive terms of the relationship, this is the mitzvah, which they uh, turn into commands and spell it differently to corrupt the uh, the concept. But the mitzvah are the the terms that Yahweh said are necessary for those who want to be part of his covenant, and they also convey what God is offering in return. But God says, if your choice is to ignore all of this and go off and be religious, that I'm going to hold you accountable. And I'm going to do so with the full measure of your religious and political rebellion. Pesha is, is a revolt. It is rebellion on a wide scale, and there's only two things that influence societies that are permeated on a broad basis, religion and politics. Mm-hmm. So the consequence, consequence of their deviation from the way and their wrongdoing, the Awon, will be a pestilence which causes widespread death, nega, a blow which plagues an individual causing them to die. It's the spread of a fungus. Can you think of Chemat's yeast? That's the very fungus of religion and politics that Yah is trying to remove <laughs> from us on Matzah. Now, according to Yahweh, souls who neglect the Torah die. The consequence of ignoring Yahweh's teaching is to endure the plague of death. To reject God's guidance is to be held accountable. There is no substitute, no getting around it, not with the Talmud or with Gospels, and certainly not with a Quran. The Torah is key, the key to heaven. It provides Yahweh's means to resolve disputes, Passover, and unyeasted bread. Within it, we find Yah's clearly communicated prescriptions for living. Bakudim and Shabua are the result. Observing it leads to the realization that Teruah is to announce Kippurim, and Kippurim is the second chance to be able to sukkah, being reconciled and at home with God. To deviate from Yahweh's Torah through religious rebellion has devastating consequences causing widespread death, a pandemic. Considering the fate of uh, Jews since they last accepted Dode's guidance in this regard, I, I think uh, that is uh, absolutely proof. Hmm. Similarly, those who were infected by Paul's plague of death will die as a result of it. The New Testament is wrong annulling the Torah, forsaking, ignoring, or rejecting Yahweh's teaching and guidance is deadly and devastating. There's no cure. There's no salvation for those who fail to observe and appreciate God's means to resolve disputes or who hold his clearly communicated prescriptions for living in contempt. 
Yahweh's mercy is afforded to thousands among billions who embrace the instructive terms of his relationship agreement. That's the realization that he etched in the second statement on the first of those two tablets. It's thousands amongst billions. And those that are among the few are all there because they observed the mitzvah, the terms and conditions, as well as the benefits of the relationship agreement known as the covenant. So it's our choice, but we will be held accountable for those that we make about our father and son. Those who would ignore or forlorn what was attributed to Dode to salvage their religious beliefs are simply not listening. And they're either going to change their minds or, or quite frankly, they're out of their minds. Uh, as I start with this next statement, it um, there's something special about the 89th Mismore. And that is that it's... Um, literally a fire hose of truth. Uh, it is so ubiquitous, uh, so enormous, so irrefutable, so clear, so focused, so convincing that the only way that somebody could continue to be religious and political is to be ignorant of it and irrational. And God's people are without excuse. So are Christians. Completely without excuse. They all carry around a copy of the 89th Mismore. Every one of them can read it. Right. And every word of it destroys the credibility of their religion. And every word of it points directly toward our Savior. And you know, one of the things that has been difficult in this rewrite is you know, the realization is that Yahweh supported Dode's decision to serve as the Pesach El and to have his soul carry our guilt into Sheol on Matzah. They work together. Dode can't do this on his own and didn't do it on his own. Uh, so it was a collaborative effort. And we like to credit, I do, Yahweh with our salvation. But that's not Yahweh's style. Yes, there are places where he clearly says that he is responsible for it, and he, and he is. But Yahweh loves to credit others. He calls Moshe the great liberator, and he refers to Dode as our savior, because it's, it's just in his nature as a father to want to credit uh, his children. You know, the old adage, there's no limit to what a person can attain in life if he's willing to share the credit. Well, Yahweh is the, is the living example of, uh, of that, and Dode is the person that he most wants to share it with. So when we talk about Dode being our Savior, this is very pleasing to his father. 
God doesn't need us to acknowledge that uh, he is great. But he certainly appreciates it when we acknowledge that his son was great. Mm-hmm. Accordingly, my unwavering love, enduring devotion, unmitigated favoritism, affection, and generosity, I will never remove from him. I will never withdraw from being with him because I will never communicate something which is not true, nor will I ever contradict my steadfast commitment to the truth. I will never dishonor or betray, nor will I poke holes in my covenant family, nor will I ever alter, disguise, or change that which has gone forward from my lips. There is only one to whom I have affirmed the truth by having made a promise. By my uniquely set-apart nature, if not to dote the beloved, I will be proven a liar. and 35 and thank you good night and goodbye Judaism and Christianity no joke yep over done Uh, in fact for us not to expose and condemn Judaism and Christianity as false as uh, ungodly as, a, as both crimes against humanity, in light of this statement, would say that we have no morality and no conscience. Absolutely. All men and women of conscience, based upon this declaration, must expose and condemn Judaism and Christianity. Uh, I, you'd have... Okay. The 89th Mismore... The Dode song is stunningly powerful from beginning to end. No question about that. And we have come across hundreds of statements, not hundreds, but we've come across a score of statements. We're only at the 34th, Uh, but it seems like hundreds. We've come across a score of statements that you could say, we could feast on these words and this sentence uh, for uh, 20 years. Well, this happens to be one of those. According to my unwavering love, my enduring devotion, my unmitigated favoritism, my affection and generosity, I will never remove from him or withdraw from being with him. Because I will never communicate that which is not true, and I will never conduct, contradict my steadfast commitment to the truth. How in the world can you have a Talmud that disagrees with the Torah, with this being in the Tanakh? How can you have a New, Christmas, a New, Testament, a New Testament that contradicts the Torah in every possible way when God said this? God isn't going to change. 
What he says, he means. What was true is true. It's not just God has an unwavering devotion to Dode, which he does, but he has an unwavering commitment to everything he has revealed to us. His Torah, his covenant, his Mikre, his people, and his son. God is trustworthy because he is dependable and steadfast. He does not change and renounce his words. There can be no Talmud. There can be no New Testament. There can be no Quran. There can be no Book of Mormon. There can be no Zohar. I will never dishonor or betray, nor will I poke holes in my covenant family. So much for the notion of a New Testament and a new covenant. God said, no, I'm not betraying my covenant. You know, uh, Paul had the audacity to say that the covenant memorialized in the Torah was of Hagar and that it enslaves. He thinks that God's view happens to be the antithesis, and therefore, if Shaul, Paul, said and wrote something that's the antithesis of something that is exceedingly important to God, mm-hmm. then he is a liar. Yep. I will never betray my covenant family. No will I ever alter or disguise or change that which has come forth from my lips. And while that is deadly to the Talmud, to the New Testament, to the Quran, to the Zohar, to the Mishnah, to all things religious, this next statement is so incredibly profound. There's only one. Now, there's a lot of people that played an exceedingly important role in God communicating to his people. Yashaya was one. I mean, uh, Moshe was exceptional. I mean, Abraham, for all of his faults, uh, still managed to become part of the covenant. Um, you know, Sarah was a pretty spectacular woman. Uh, Noah had his act together. Shamuel was a stand-up man. Yashia was among the greatest prophets who ever lived. There were a lot of people that, uh, that Yahweh had an outstanding relationship with, and yet he's saying, yeah, there's just one, only one, to whom I have affirmed the truth by having made a promise. Now, when Yahweh spoke to Abraham and Yishak and said, no, 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 you're, you're, you're not going to take the life of your son, your only son. I'm going to provide the lamb. That promise was therefore articulated on behalf of the Son of God. Understood. When Yahweh spoke of the fulfillment of, of Pesach, Matzah, and Bokorim, then that truth is affirmed by doubt. This is such a profound statement. He's God. And he's saying, 
there is one man, and only one man, to whom I have affirmed the truth by having made a promise, Shabbat. having done so by my uniquely set-apart nature. Because God is uncommon and therefore not religious. If not to dode, then I will be proven a liar. Therefore, you can't have a Jesus. There's no promise other than to dode. You can't have a Jesus. You certainly can't have a Bar Kokhba. You can't have a Muhammad. It's only one, and his name is Dode. Period. End of conversation. Arrivederce, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There is only one to whom I have affirmed the truth by having made a promise. By my set-apart nature, if not to dote, I'll be proven a liar. Imagine God even saying that. How frustrating God had to be, how frustrated God had to be with his people to say that. What he's saying is that of the religious people on earth today, which is about 95%, that they're calling him a liar. Every one of them. If you are worshiping Jesus, you're calling God a liar. If you're parading under a star, with that star symbolizing Bar Kokhba, the son of a star, you're calling God a liar. If you're saying there's going to be a nameless Messiah that is coming, you're calling God a liar. If you're unaware that Pesach, Matzah, Bakunim, and Shabuah have been fulfilled and been fulfilled by Dode, you're calling God a liar. If you want to pretend that God does not have a son, that there's no son of God, which Judaism protests, then you're calling God a liar. I don't think God much appreciates being called a liar. <laughs> no. <laughs> by itself this would rank among Yahweh's most influential statements however when combined with others he has made throughout Dode's song God's citations speak more perfa- persuasively and passionately than anything ever said by God or man these words are, are life changing. They're transformational. They rid the world of religion, at least for those who are informed and rational. I have established cutting through separation the Bereth Covenant for the family and home through Ani Bashar, my chosen one, the person I prefer and have decided upon. I've sworn an oath, and I will affirm this promise seven times over to Dode, the beloved. Ibed Ani, my authorized agent and co-worker who serves on my behalf, 
Furthermore, as an Adolam, eternal witness to the restoring testimony, I will prepare and establish your offspring and that which you sow. In addition, I will construct a home for your throne and seat of honor on behalf of all generations throughout time. Therefore, in relationship to this, logically, you spoke in a revelation to your Bakarim, chosen and tested ones, saying, I have equated and bestowed assistance, supplying that which is needed on behalf of the Gabor, the most courageous and capable man. I have raised up and exalted the Bashar, chosen one, from the people. I discovered and then made known, encouraged, experienced, and exposed Dode. Ibanani, my co-worker, out of Shimon Kodesh, Ani, my set-apart oil, I have Mashach anointed him. So that to show the way to the benefits of the relationship, my hand and influence will be established and steadfast, authenticated and unwavering with you. In addition, and beyond this, Ani Zeroah, my protective shepherd, my strong arm, and my sacrificial lamb will empower and embolden you, strengthening you while enabling your growth. Therefore, my steadfast commitment to the truth and my unwavering love persistent devotion, enduring favoritism, my ongoing affection and overall commitment are with him. In my name, his light will radiate and enlighten, and his brilliant horn, symbolic of his status and strength, and of his role as the protective ram among the sheep, especially during Teruah, will be lifted up and raised on high. He himself will call out to me and welcome me, announcing, You are my Father. I also will bestow him as a gift, appointing and making him Bakor Ani, my firstborn, as Elion, Almighty God, the highest and uppermost in comparison to the kings and rulers of the earth. Accordingly, my unwavering love, my enduring devotion, unmitigated favoritism, affection, and generosity, I will never revoke, disassociate, or remove from him, nor withdraw from being with him. I will never betray who I am by communicating something which is misleading or untrue nor will I ever contradict or undermine my steadfast commitment to uphold the truth and remain accurate and reliable. I will never dishonor or betray, nor will I create loopholes to alter Barathani, my covenant family, nor will I ever alter, disguise, or change, rearrange, modify, or duplicate that which has gone forth 
from my lips. Ichad, there is only one, to whom I have affirmed the truth by having made a promise, thereby validating my commitment, which will be affirmed seven times by Kodeshani, my uniquely set-apart nature, if not to, through, and regarding doubt, the beloved, I am delusional and will be proven a liar. All from the Song of Dode, the 89th Mismore. Pretty extraordinary. Huh, totally. I don't know where you'd go to find anything more life-altering than that. So, if you're carrying that around, as Jews do and Christians do, uh, how in the world do you believe your religion, which says quite the opposite? This is, I mean, a wholesale repudiation of Christianity mm-hmm. and Judaism. God say it's really simple. I want to be your father. The best example of the kind of relationship I'm trying to establish with you is manifest in my relationship with doubt. He is the exemplar of the covenant. He is my firstborn son. I'm going to, and I have, and will continue to do magnificent things with him and through him. They love him. I enjoy our company together. I am going to value this relationship with him forevermore. You want to be part of the covenant? Uh, You can see it affirmed through him. What more do you need to know? What part of that is confusing? None of it. Um. Uh, I'll conclude with one uh, one thought here is that, you know, when uh, uh, we've had a number of attempts of timelines, uh, it, the current timeline, I think, is by far the best that we have uh, done. Uh, and it's available at the resources uh, page of the Yadaya website. Um, and uh, on that uh, timeline, it shows that year 3000 Ya is uh, four years after Dode's passing. Uh, when the cornerstone of Yahweh's house is being set. And it is the time when this psalm, which was written to honor Dode, would have been given to us. Um, I therefore view this psalm as the cornerstone. Uh, it's, it's, it's timed in, in the middle of of humankind's 3,000-year history, um, right in the center, just Mm -hmm. as you would put the cornerstone uh, Mm -hmm. as the premier building block. Uh, So what we're reading is the cornerstone of of Yahweh's covenant family. Uh, It was delivered in year 3,000 Yah, 968 BCE. It is as big a gift as the son himself. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 
quick question. I don't think there is a better gift than uh, this. Uh, um, you know, um, we uh, Jews in particular have this uh, fixation on saying Torah, 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 when they really mean Talmud, Talmud, Talmud. But um, Torah, which means teaching and guidance, permeates the prophets and the Psalms, and there is prophetic statements throughout the Torah, just as there are through the prophets and the Psalms. There is teaching throughout the Torah, just as there is throughout the prophets and Psalms. It's all one communication from God over 1,000 years. And we do ourselves a great disservice when we do not or fail to value uh, Psalms like these, the Mismor. Um, there is more to benefit our lives here than in anything else that was ever written. There is a reason that there are more extant copies of the Mismor found in the caves above Qumran than any other books. More copies of the Mismor than there are of Isaiah and more than there are of the Torah itself. And so, collectively, we ought to be observant of the whole um, breadth of Yahweh's communication, his uh, eduth, his ed, um, with us. And it would be very difficult to find anything that was as meaningful to your life, as important in, in becoming part of God's family, of understanding who Yahweh is, how he works, what he has done for us, what he is offering, what he expects in return, then you'll find in this Mismore. Um, we are um, essentially halfway through. And it is the most compelling story ever written. So I uh, wish you all a very happy Shabbat. Um, uh, we'll begin uh, at the same place uh, next week. Uh, I'm... Um, I guess there's uh, nothing easier for someone who is serving as a voice calling out to God's people than to share the insights contained in Dode's song. Um, this is as good as it gets, um, my mm. friends. And so I hope that if you are in Israel tonight, if you are Yehud uh, Jewish, that you'll take these words to heart. That you'll realize you do have a Savior, and his name is Dod. That your God loves you, his name is Yahweh. That he has a means for you to approach him, it's called the Moed. And that he wants you to be part of his family, which he calls the Bereth. That's the story of this psalm. Dod just serves, serves as the foremost example. Well, may Yah bless. We look forward to being with you this time uh, next week, and uh, thank you uh, both uh, Dee and Kirk for uh, your contribution this evening. Uh, we look forward to being with you next week. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Time. Shabbat shalom.